Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This week's episode is sponsored by my upcoming book, The Influencer Economy. Make sure you check out theinfluencereconomy.com for more information. The book is coming out this winter at the end of January. I'm so excited to share with you the stories of maker, creator, entrepreneurs launching the next big things in media. I've reverse engineered the careers of people like Bill Simmons, Mark Marin, Hannah Hart, and other online creators for business stories that we can all learn from. Sign up for my email list at influencereconomy.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams, your old pal, coming at you live from Los Angeles, California this week for episode number 72. I spoke with Farbod Sharaka, CEO and founder of Bloom Nation, which is an Etsy for flowers and a startup based in Santa Monica, part of Los Angeles, California. This week's show is going to be a new series I'm launching on this channel. It's still the influencer economy, but I have a new show called The Pivot, which I am debuting this week. In The Pivot, I will speak with a tech founder who's pivoted their careers from another industry into technology and talking about how they started and launched. In this case, Farbode is a former investment banker. He's actually reformed as an investment banker, and he launched Bloom Nation in Santa Monica, California. So this show is going to be part of the Influencer Economy series, but specifically we'll be getting into the do's and the don'ts and the whys of how tech entrepreneurs pivot their careers from another area. Farbode has raised money from Andreessen Horowitz, the tech investment firm based out of the Bay Area, as well as he went through the Mucker Lab Incubator, which is a startup accelerator also based in Los Angeles. Farbode's uh, career pivot is really fascinating. His startups going up against proflowers.com and 1-800-flowers.com, these big corporations and their uh, successful startup, which I'm happy to tell his story today on The Pivot. And make sure you stick around till the end. Farbode tells a great story about his co-founder gambling during a poker tournament at the Commerce Casino outside of Los Angeles, where they got their initial seed money to start the company from a poker tournament. Welcome to The Pivot with Farbode Sharaka. We started in LA. The three co-founders are uh, grew up, born and raised in Los Angeles. So this is home for us. Where did you grow up in LA? I grew up in the Valley, and um, my other co-founder Greg uh, Weistein grew up in Northridge, and David, our third co-founder, grew up in uh, Gora Hills, Thousand Oaks area. So we were definitely guys from LA. And your old school friends. Yeah. Well. David was, at the time, he, he was going to the Booth School of Business. He was studying finance. And I was telling him he's going to hate it because he was a professional poker player after college. Oh, wow. So he was trying to get into finance. I said, you're going to hate going from, you know, playing poker uh, in Europe and going on these underground games with all these celebrities to... Like living... Uh <clears throat> Living um, uh, rounders, yeah, rounders lifestyle. To then, working actually, interview, in I interviewed Brian Koppelman for the podcast, who wrote Rounders. Oh wow! And he like went into underground casinos to like do the research right. with people like David. Yeah, that are living like this double life that you really don't talk about. It's so cool, and to think that he was trying to leave that to go into like corporate finance. And you're just and like, no, I was no, like, you no. will quit after two weeks. So, um, and then. Greg was also thinking about what he wanted to do. I mean, we we're all the same age, so we we're like right under, under 30 years old. I mean, we we're like 28, 29 at the time. It was the moment we said, if we don't do something now, when would be the next time? Why flowers then? So I was an investment banker. I was one of those capitalistic um, a-holes that- In uh, LA? Yeah, in LA. And uh, working on, 
working on a deal that was in the flower space and just started learning a lot about it. So how many suits did you own? <laughs> Too many. As you and, wear a t-shirt and like <laughs> Converse Chuck it, Taylors right now. Exactly. And that's, that's the beauty of my life now is that I go, I, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to wear suits as my job. I thought that was the coolest thing you can do is wear a suit. Now, as uh, today, I, I actually feel bad for the people that have to wear suits every day. Yeah. It's I, like now the hoodie is what yeah, people hoodie, aspire yeah. to wear. And so, you know, at the time I was working on this deal in the flower industry, I learned so much about it. I'm like, oh, I cool. can't believe this is how it works. Like I'm in shock. It's inefficient. Yeah. And I went to Berkeley and studied economics. So to me, it was all about efficiencies in markets and how like improving on, you know, uh, way things work. <clears throat> Luckily, I had an aunt in the industry. I started spending more What's time her with her. Uh, her name's Shireen. And Shireen? Yeah, and Shireen. She helped me kind of understand the other side of the business, <clears throat> which was uh, the local the local side, meaning I saw how it worked from the corporate side of things, like how 1-800-Flowers worked, but I didn't realize that the florists were also just as frustrated. She opened up my eyes of why the florists don't like these services as well. That's when the light bulb went on. So and I think it was uh, in the summertime, and Greg and David and I went around all over the flowers, uh, all over you, L.A. This? Uh, this was in 2000, I believe 2010. Okay. So summertime 2010, we walked around all the flower shops in Los Angeles. And ask them, like, what are your pain points? What are your problems? How has the industry changed? And it was incredible because Floris would spend hours talking to us about the problems. And, I was, you know, we would get parking tickets because we couldn't leave their, their oh, shops wow. because they were so, like, passionate about this idea. And that's when the light bulb went off. All these things came together. And so um, we knew this idea had legs. It, had, it was a real issue. There was something to be disrupted here. So... Um, and then diving, diving into like the, really the moment when I realized this is like destiny was after going to all these flower shops, we were sitting around David's apartment and decided, um, we, we should start this company. You know, we, we spent a lot of time thinking what about it. What part of LA was this? This was near Westwood. Okay. So David's apartment was in Westwood okay. and, uh, right by UCLA. <clears throat> and, um, we decided like, Hey, we got to start this company, but guess what? We don't know any, we can't write a line of code. So how are we going to build a website? What are we going to do? Which there? is a common, I feel like in cities outside the Bay area where there's not a lot of coders, there's always that frustration of the non-technical founder. Exactly. And you were in that same position. Yeah. No technical background. So there was nothing to be done there. So what we decided to do is we need to raise some money to essentially get an engineer to hire an engineer to start working on this. So, um, at that moment, uh, David got a text message from one of his buddies saying, Hey, are you coming to today's tournament? And, or, you know, he read the message and I saw his like face change and he's like, I just got a text message. I said, what was it? And he said, my friend says there's a poker tournament happening at the commerce casino in Los Angeles, um, today. And the, the first place prize is $30,000 and the entry fee was $3,000. Um, so <laughs> we looked at each other. It was that moment where we kind of were reading each other's minds about what, you know, what's going to happen next. And next thing you know, you, we, have, to, you have to say anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to say anything. It's like in the movie where like they're looking at each other and the next scene is them. Yeah, they cut to it already. Yeah, He's like on the table, yeah. cashing chips. Exactly. So we were, we, the next thing you know, we were uh, on our way to Commerce Casino. And so uh, Greg and I decided that we're going to sit in um the cafeteria or the 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 yeah i think it was the cafeteria there with our laptops 
writing up the business plan while David was uh, upstairs. And in it's the not like you're, you know, in MGM or Caesar's Palace. No, this, this is, is a, like a grittier uh, yeah, establishment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're in this uh, cafeteria in uh, a, a poker uh, house and just writing the, the business plan of Bloom Nation while David is up there uh, starting to play. I think there's a uh, hundred or so players at the time that entered. And so start off with breakfast. Uh, next thing you know, we're having lunch at this cafeteria. Next thing you know, we're having dinner Incredible. and then a late night snack. And, you know, as we I pop up to go up there and check in, the, the size of the, the tournament is getting smaller and smaller. And then finally, he was at the final table. And that's when we obviously closed our laptops and we said, we got to watch this because there's a lot at stake here. And, um, yeah, after, I think it was like midnight. Um, he was the final two, one of the final two players. So everyone's eagerly watching. How at, at that point, if he around. loses, he, is he still going to collect? Yeah, fifteen or yeah, there 10, was a, yeah. It was very well, very much <laughs> highly weighted towards the first place uh, okay. winner getting a lot more. Uh-huh. But we would have still, we were in the money as they yeah. call, uh, as they say. So final table, last two players, and um, that moment happens when they both call um, an all-in um, uh, thing that Dave or the. The opponent said, I'm all in. David called the hand. They flipped over their cards. And that was the moment like life froze for me. I was just like, wait, is this the moment we realize we're going to start this company or not? And uh, I see the opponent celebrating. And, and we were a little bit further away because they were blocking off people. So I couldn't see the hand very well. But I saw the opponent celebrating. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like, that sucks. Uh, like, we were so close, yeah. but we didn't get it. David, stone cold face. Couldn't read his face, which good poker players you shouldn't be able to uh looked very straight finally allowed us to go up there and i said what happened and then i slowly start seeing the the um the uh the dealer pushing the chips towards david and the opponent kind of being confused and then david looks at us as we get there and he says don't worry guys it's flower time hope you're enjoying this episode of the influencer economy called the pivot where I talk to a tech entrepreneur about launching a startup in the modern media landscape. If you want to listen to some archives, last week's guest was Brad Feld, who is the founder of Techstars and Foundry Group. He's invested in over 1,000 technology startups. And we talk a lot about how givers in life succeed more and how we should give before you get. Before that, I have episodes with the investor talent manager, Troy Carter, who I talked to in Los Angeles. You may Recognize him as Lady Gaga's former manager. Additionally, Jeff Ulrich, who is the founder of Earwolf Media. I spoke with him on the podcast. He's a founder of a technology and entertainment company around podcasting, including shows like Comedy Bang Bang. So if you want to hear some archives about fellow entrepreneurs, check out those shows. Now back to the podcast. Did you tell this story to investors? Yeah, you know what? Investors were most thrilled about the fact that we had the complete opposite background to start this type of company, but we made something really amazing with very little money. And our before we raised our first round, they were impressed by how far we got with very little resources. Yeah. yeah, and with that money, we were able to hire a developer to start building out the the website. And then, were you did you go through an incubator or accelerator program, or did you just raise money and build? Yeah, so we started. Um, so I'll tell you, I didn't know much about venture capital outside of like being in investment banking, but I didn't have any personal experience in it. 
I didn't know what a marketplace was at the time. Again, not, not very uh, savvy on startups. So to me, the concept of a marketplace was just thrown to me. We just thought, I just want floors to be able to sell products so it creates a better experience. Um, so we started learning more about incubators and all that. And I had a notion that incubators were for kids. Like we were, again, 30. And I thought like an 18 year old kid would go you're to an incubator. You're out of college. Yeah. You have need some needs, money. Yeah. Who some needs sh- like a parent to like, yeah. uh, uh, to tell them what to do. And we're adults. I mean, I you don't need in structure. Yeah, yeah. Like I worked with big CEOs and helped them advise strategically what companies to acquire. I'm not here to be told what to do. So I had that notion that it was like for kids. But I started talking to more with people and that quickly changed. And we decided to start looking at incubators and fell in love with one, uh, Mucker Lab, which is here in Santa Monica. You worked at their office for a while. Yeah, they give you free office space. Yeah. They give you some money and they give you a lot of guidance. And so we worked out of their office uh, until they kicked us out. We, we uh, grew. Uh, we were probably one of the larger companies there. Um, and I remember what we, an interesting story was we would have florists, like important florists that we wanted to win over come to our office to show them like you know this is a real company it's not just a couple guys in a garage and so we would stamp uh bloom nation signs on everyone's monitor that were from the other companies and even the mentors that were um uh, you know they had their desks there we would stick them on there and say oh that's customer service over there don't talk to them they're on the phone but that was really our our investors and so we just did what we had whatever we had to do to make people feel like this was a growing thriving company and so it was like those kind of things. Like those are the memories I'll keep forever. Well, like I went there and I had to find parking. Yeah. And uh, Andres, our mutual friends, like Bloom Nation takes up all the parking here. Yeah, we like would force you, everyone to come yeah, early and yeah, take yeah, all yeah. the parking. Yeah. So they eventually we were overbearing our stay and decided to uh, start paying. How long did you work out of there? I think it was a good nine months or so. I mean, I think it was until the new class started. Um, and they needed the space. So literally up to the last moment when they were like, hey, guys, we kind of have uh, we have a situation. And in some ways you had an advantage over people that had an idea or hadn't built something yet. Yeah, we were pretty further had- along. So when we joined, uh, we already had our product. We were generating revenue, and we actually ended up um, <coughs> getting funded, um, I would say, like within a couple months of joining. So we, when we went to our demo day, uh, which, you know, all the other startup uh, uh, companies were there to like hopefully get investors. Yeah. We were up there like, hey, this is what we do. By the way, we're backed by Andreessen Horowitz and Smart Capital. And everyone's like, what? You had at that a demo day, you had that yeah, much? Yeah, demo day, we already raised our seed round and we had all these like rock star investors. Yeah. And so it was the best feeling ever. And you didn't even know about this universe two years yeah. prior to. In some ways, um, you think that was a benefit because it's not like you've been sweating and thinking about this as a dream. It's like, this happened. I believe in it, but I can do it. Yeah. I think the naiveness that I had leaving yeah. my, my job helped me get to where I am. If Absolutely. I knew more about the floor industry, I knew about more about tech, I knew about my e-commerce, I probably would have convinced myself that this is too difficult to do or risky. It's like you, I didn't know the mountain that was yeah. ahead. I just saw the small hills. And every time we got to the top of that hill, I saw another hill. So it allowed me to, to really do this in the first place. Talking about venture capital, because there's an expertise you get from that that maybe people don't understand. Yeah. That people, they've, Andreessen Horowitz, Spark, they've done this before. So when you, you know, join that kind of a community, like how does that accelerate what you're building and your, your knowledge, your expertise? 
So for me, I, the way I perceive like a venture, the venture capital world is they're there for money and for resources. So meaning um, they are able to connect you with the right people or uh, right partner or anything like that. So for me, it helped accelerate obviously through finance. But um, if I needed to get advice from the head of eBay seller program, Andreessen Horowitz has the connections to do that. So it accelerates your ability to learn. Mm -hmm. And I would say the most important thing about VCs or even incubators is learning from the other company's mistakes. So to me, that's the number one thing outside of the, obviously the check they write. But the check, it, it checks you have to take from the right people. Yes, I agree. You know, money yeah. isn't just money. Uh, to some extent, that's true. Um, I think it's helpful to have the money from the right people who believe in your vision because if they don't see the same thing that you do, you're going to have a hard time like pushing the company the way you so want. So do you talk to the people that struggled or failed with their startups through the VC company or they tell you stories about like, oh, don't do watch this angle because we've seen it not work? Both. I mean, the VCs, their job is to see patterns, right? So I'd say what they're really good at is identifying systematic flaws in uh, someone's company because they've seen it happen several times. So that's the advice I would take from them. And then in terms of the portfolio companies that they have, it's more about the smaller mistakes. And so being able to bounce ideas like hiring, firing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, perks at the office or um, things like that, it helps you just move faster. Because this, the worst thing you could do is make slow decisions. That's, that, would, that would be the death of your company. Hope you're enjoying this episode with Farbo Chiraka of Bloom Nation. Make sure you check him out at bloomnation.com for his company. And wanted to remind everyone, I'm so excited. The Influencer Economy book is coming out very soon in January. I'm so close to getting up the Amazon page. So if you want to get more updates and information, go to influencereconomy.com. I'm starting to reveal different subjects for the book. Uh, Freddie Wong is going to be featured in the book as well as... Hannah Hart, they're both YouTubers who have crowdfunded and built massive media brands and companies on the YouTube platform. There's business principles and stories for all of us to learn from these creators. Sign up for more info at InfluencerEconomy.com. I had uh, Anthony Soleil on my podcast who manages Queensbridge Ventures, and he was, he's from the music industry. So he was saying that like the, the 150th person at Andreessen Horowitz on the totem pole it's smarter than like every music executive. And he like un didn't understand how important it was to surround yourself with smart people. Oh yeah. And no matter what you do, it doesn't matter really the industry. It matters the people around you that are that much smarter. Yeah, absolutely. The, it's, it's your group uh, around you defines how you're going to think, how you're going to innovate, how you're going to strategize. So <clears throat> putting yourself in front of some of the brightest people can only do great things. And uh, I, I agree with that statement 100% in general. Did you get plugged into the, like the Silicon Valley Investor Network just through your sheer like, successes and people saw you and said, you got to meet these guys? Or was it like one potential person that helped? Um, so, <clears throat> so Mucker was helpful in terms of the, the product, helping us like, position ourselves, polish our product, think about how to scale. Um, in terms of the network of like the LA scene, we got a lot of no's from people in yeah. LA. And I think the Silicon Valley, uh, investment thesis is like, um, I think Andreessen Horowitz, Chris Dixon, Andreessen Horowitz actually quoted Babe Ruth. Like when I, when I swing, I hold the bat tie, I swing for home runs. So I either, uh, um, 
hit hard or miss hard. And so I think that's their thesis up there is like either you, you're investing deep into big, big ideas and you take chances um, or you're going to screw up and, and, and really put a lot of money into something that doesn't work. Here, I think it's a little more conservative. It is. So um, the, the feedback that we got when we first started was, well, how do you compete against winning 100 flowers? They have a lot more money. What are you going to do? Cost of acquisition is high. Your take rate is low. Very, very much like a LTV to CAC like, uh, analysis. And um, we didn't have the answers yet because we're still like building things up and learning. Because you could have been scary as well. Well, they don't have a technical co-founder. They don't have a designer co-founder. Yeah. I think some, one of the uh, venture capitalists told me like you need to have two of the three things. Either you have to have the entre- like a serial entrepreneur that's shown a success, either, or you have to be really knowledgeable in the industry, or you have to be like highly technical. And we had none of the three. Yeah. So it was like we had no re- they had no general reason to invest in us. Luckily, what we did is bootstrapped it. So we got a lot of no's early on, and we said, okay, proof will be in the pudding. Let's build this ourselves. And, and start making them runny and start growing it and then say, hey, you're right. We didn't know anything about the industry, but guess what? Now we do. And now we're growing this. And that's what exactly what happened. And that's when Andreessen and Spark were really impressed by us because we took everyone's nose in L.A. and all the VCs that we talked to originally and said, OK, we'll take your feedback. We're, we hear it and we're going to act on it. And then I think at the time. Uh, when we got funded, we were doing almost $100,000 in monthly revenue. So, and completely bootstrapped. So your culture here is, you're small, it's a very small space, but you're, it feels open. And I, I mean small in the sense that like people like work and you can't avoid each other. No. So for us, it's about the same way we believe in the community of the floor industry. We believe in the community here at Bloom Nation as an internal team. So we're very open, creative. It's a flat organization. I'm no better than anyone else at this company. And so we all are here to push this mountain. I'm just someone here to build a great product. And these are my partners in doing it. I imagine that's your, you don't have the, I've been here before attitude. I know how it's done. Right. So I'm at, again, like you not having this like background in some ways must still affect your culture here. Yeah. Because you're not like, this is how we did it at this other company that got acquired, or this is how I was trained by this other successful company. Right. Like you're still like, you know, making it happen. We're all learning. And I think, um, interesting and left, like the current team, a lot of our most successful people have been ones that didn't have the background either. They're just really passionate and they see the idea and they love it. So yeah, very much we supportive of, you don't necessarily have to have done this before, but if you care enough to do it now, that's to me more important. We've had a lot of bright people, talented people come and work for us for a short period of time because they didn't feel connected to the idea or passionate. So when we interview now, it's a, cr- a must that they understand why we're doing this and if they believe in it. Even after we give the offer to the person, I said, listen, think about this. If you don't believe in what we're doing, forget the money. You can get, you can get a job anywhere. You can get the salary anywhere. You know, do you believe in what we're doing as a company? Then take the offer. If you don't, I will not be upset. I actually would be grateful that you declined it because you saved me a lot of time and money. Yeah. So it's almost like you're respecting the process and the company yeah. and helping more than dragging us along. Yeah. One uh, final uh, question is, so LA, especially the, you and even globally for people listening that they don't have the resources to designers. They don't have the resources to engineers. You made it work through this interview. You can distill 
but like just directly, what would you say to people like you? You're pivoting into a new industry. You don't, it's just you with an idea. You understand the, the market. Like, what do you say? Yeah. I feel like this narrative is so, it should be stated more that like, you don't need to think about this for like five years and right No, Yeah. Maybe I should speak at more. You should No, you're this yeah. a great story. <clears throat> no, I appreciate that. I'm, so, like, I, I'm like really happy that I interviewed you. <laughs> Thank you. So, I mean, the bottom line to me is that if you have an idea, you can test it with very little time and money. So you can prove out concepts. You can pare down your big idea into small proof points to help you mitigate your risk of diving deeper or spending a lot of time into something that ultimately not, might not work. So instead of creating this big mountain of like, oh, I have to like quit my job or I have to like raise a bunch of money or I have to hire a bunch of people, pare it down like, okay, if I needed to do this, what are the first three steps like to see if this idea makes sense? Thanks for checking out that segment, that episode, that story of the influencer economy with Farbo Chiraka of Bloom Nation. With our new series, The Pivot, we'll be doing these fairly often. Don't know how soon we'll be posting the next one, but I've interviewed a lot of tech entrepreneurs and think that they deserve a different story for uh, the tech pivot. And uh, the pivot in his career of going from one industry to another, I thought was super fascinating, um, especially an investment banker to startup entrepreneur. That's so cool that he went into the new field. And I think we can all learn from those types of pivots. Um, but anyway, wanted to give a big shout out to everyone listening right now who has heard the Brad Feld interview. Thanks so much for the new listeners. If you checked out that interview, you'll love the interview with Adam Grant, who's a giver, has a, has a book called Give and Take. He's a Wharton professor. So check out that in the archives, as well as Troy Carter, who's an investor in Los Angeles, as well as the manager for Lady Gaga from back in the day. And now he moves on from Gaga and manages John Legend, but he's invested in Uber and Lyft and a whole bunch of other companies. Big book announcements. It's the, uh, the Influencer Economy book is coming out. Very soon in January, I will have the sign-up page for the book up by November 8th. It's a goal. I'm the kind of person that if I tell you my goal, then it helps me accomplish the goal because collectively everyone listening to the show has been part of this book process. I've talked about the book since day one. The podcast is close to being two years old. I'm now 72 episodes into this. So I'm loving the fact that everyone who listens to the show is a part of this. So in general, I need help with these subtitles. If you know or you're interested and want to help me, hello at InfluencerEconomy.com. Hit me up and I will give you a shout out in the book if you can help me pick my subtitle for the book. I'm also booking my tour for the Influencer Economy book stops and planning events in New York City, Los Angeles, where I live, San Francisco, as well as Washington, D.C. So if you want me to come to your business, your nonprofit, and bring the influencer economy there, whether it's a presentation, a live podcast, or both. Also hit me up. I'll be doing lectures and bundling books so people who can actually help me out with selling books in bulk. So if you buy 500 books, you'll have certain perks. So I'm essentially re-engineering a crowdfunding campaign for the book launch, which I am very excited for. And without everyone listening to this podcast, I would not be where I am. From the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for listening to the show. Without further ado, heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot.